Well, good morning, good afternoon or good evening to you, depending on when you're actually watching this interview. Welcome to another edition of Hypnosis Week. My name by birth is Alex William Smith. Just to confuse you, Law, I'm better known around the world as Jonathan Royal Hypnotist of MagicalGuru.com. And it's my great pleasure and privilege this week to be able to interview one of my friends I've known now for ooh, close to two decades, who here in England uh, is with out question Britain's leading body language expert having uh, regularly had a residency on what was one of the highest rating daily uh, talk shows Trisha here in England if you go on YouTube and type in his name Robert Phipps not only will you find uh, serious enlightening and educational videos but you'll be able to find hope he doesn't mind me saying but if you put in Robert Phipps and the word wardrobe you'll be able to find an incident where he got locked in a wardrobe I'll let him explain more about that very <laughs> shortly but yeah he knows all there is about non-verbal communication body language call it what you will uh he's the author of the book it's not uh, it's what you don't say that matters um the best book on body language if you go on Amazon just type in Robert Phipps up it'll pop so pl welcome to the show Robert Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to uh, whoever's viewing this and good morning to you, Jonathan, because it's currently morning in the UK and not a very nice day. No, indeed, but it is. We, we, we will make the best of it. So, look, obviously, I know a lot of your background story, but the, the viewers don't. And that is what this is about. them getting to know you um, and then be encouraged to go and visit your website and go and buy your book and seek out your uh, video training set and any live events you might do in the future so what led you of all the things in the world could it is it, somewhat niche what led you into becoming um the body language expert the body language not just oh i'm got involved in body language but you also managed to position yourself as britain's leading body language expert how did that all start it goes back to 1984 when I went for an interview for a sales job. Prior to that, I used to be a private detective and a bailiff. Um, so I went for this interview, walked in, shook the guy's hand, and I wasn't wearing a suit. I was wearing a shirt, jacket, tie, trousers, but it wasn't a suit. And one of his first questions after shaking my hand was, um, have you got a suit? And I cockily said, yes, bear in mind, I was 20 years old at this point in 1984. Um, and he said, well, why aren't you wearing it? So I had to think on my feet. And I said, it's in the cleaners, because at 20 years old, back in 1984, you were only expected to have one suit. <laughs> um, and he immediately said, you're lying, but I like your answer. Sit down. So I sat down, went through the interview process for the next 45 minutes or so. Um, I got the job and immediately asked him how we knew I was lying because I was lying and I thought well if he's caught me out just like that there must be something that's going on that he knew so I asked him and he said your body language gave you away and I said my what because back in 1984 there were only around about four or five books in existence on the subject of as it was formerly known and is, is should be properly known, nonverbal communication. The term body language was coined by Desmond Morris in one of his first books, uh, Naked Ape and Man Watching and those okay. those books. And that's sort of the, the popular term that took over. However, that 
when you talk about body language, it makes people immediately think just of the body, so physical movements. But in a wider context, it's true uh, term is nonverbal communication. And when you open it up to nonverbal communication, you're not just talking about physical body movements. You're talking about, you know, the clothes that you wear, because every day you have a choice, assuming you've done all your washing and ironing, but you have a choice as to what you're going to put on and how you're going to present yourself to the world every single day. So it starts from the moment you get up and choosing what you're going to wear. It also incorporates, you know, your choice of hairstyle, whether you have tattoos, wear makeup, um, what sort of shoes you wear, what sort of handbag, briefcase, glasses, you know, everything. Um, because it's about your the environment, your space. Uh, the, the two breakdowns are kinesics and proxemics. Kinesics is the physical body movement. Proxemics yeah. is the area that you you in, view as yours. Now, depending on who you are, you will have it's a wider. Some people go, oh, don't get into my, oh, you're in my personal space. Yes, that's part of it. So the personal space, there's, there's said to be four areas. So sort of naught to six inches from the body. We will only allow very close friends, family and children into that space. Anyone comes near you, you know, gets to about here, your automatic reaction is to pull away. So you've got four areas. That's the most important one is this very close naught to six inches or 15 centimeters from the body. And then it goes out from there to sort of 18 inches or around about 45 centimeters is the sort of social. So we don't mind people leaning in for, you know, chit chat and leaning out. But that's the distance. They won't come any closer in than this unless we have a specific and special relationship with those people. Mm -hmm. So your your body language and your nonverbal language incorporates everything around you from, you know, your home. Most people have got their chair. And they will sit in that chair because it's their chair. And around that, you can always see, you know, who's in charge of the remote control? Is it you or is it your partner? Have you got somewhere to put your cup of tea? <laughs> um, <laughs> or coffee. <laughs> or coffee. Yeah. Um, you know, all these things give away nonverbal clues because it's not the body that's telling you anything at that point, but the body and the person in, inside it has actually placed these things for their own convenience. Mm -hmm. So you you can walk into most people's homes and within seconds you can go, aha, they're the boss. They're sitting over there. They've got, you know, the chocolates, the ashtray, the, the cup of tea, and they've got in charge of the remote control. I don't purposely want to upset people, although I'm supposed to be the British bad boy of hypnosis. But I'm, I genuinely believe this, having had experience of doing years ago when I was teenage years, uh, contacting the dead shuls and... Uh, going to people's houses, doing tarot reading parties and such like. One yeah. of the first things I learned from cold reading books was to observe the person's home where things were territorial things like you've just yeah. mentioned. Yeah. That can tell you so much about the person that you can then apparently pick up on in the psychic reading. Yep. You've just reminded me of something. This, <laughs> this is a story that goes back before... I went for that interview, but it will give you an idea of exactly what you just said. I uh, this was when I was 19 years old. 
So at that point, I was working as a bailiff and a private detective. Okay, one of the youngest in the country. And uh, my previous employer, I was friends with his daughter. So one night I popped around there. He happened to be on holiday. I had no idea that they were away. So I went in, sat with his daughter and his daughter received a phone call an hour after I'd been there, received a phone call. <clears throat> and she suddenly went all like coy and, you know, moving away and a bit secretive. And I thought, hang on, something's going on. So long story short, I just followed the body language and the tiny little bits of snippets of conversation I could hear. When she came off the phone, I made one comment and I said to her, so where's the money gone? And she was like, just as your face just went, that sort of like, uh, all your muscles then just suddenly went uh, and dropped in your face, Alex. That's not what <laughs> I was expecting to say. I thought it was going to be like, because she was on edge because her dad was coming home early or something. But No, no. It As it turned out, the, some, the, the, the guy that I used to work for used to run shops, about three camera and audio shops. And the money, some of the takings had gone missing that day. And so I just surmised this out of if you like the cold reading techniques and led a little story just bullshitting because I was the private detective and I could uncover everything sort of thing and I left thinking nothing more of it two days later the police turned up at my bailiff's office <laughs> how did you know exactly <laughs> excellent and I had to literally say, sorry, I was bullshitting trying to impress the girl sort of thing. I know nothing. I've not even been anywhere near the shops or I haven't even been in contact with her for the previous like three months. I just randomly turned up. Excellent. <laughs> so that's literally so my body language, if you like, reading skills were there way before I encountered the words body language. Right. No, this, if, if this sounds offensive, well, well, I do care because you're a friend. <laughs> For some interviewees, I'd say I don't give a toss. Um, just because that's supposed to be my character. We know each other well enough, Alex. You can say what you like. In which case. Go on. They were already there. Would it be fair to say. I know the answer to this. I'm playing devil's advocate. Would it be fair to say then that these. And there are some really expensive courses out there on body language. Ridiculous. Given that some of these really expensive courses. The people who put them together. Don't know a fraction of what you do. And what you've done in the real world. Under test conditions on television. Where yeah. every day on live TV. You could have ended up looking a complete end If you yeah. just said that person's a liar. And then day after day you'd got it wrong. No. Whereas the truth is. Day after day you were getting it right. And revealing your thoughts on other circumstances. That later came out and showed that. Well, yeah, that's why they were lying. You, you were so accurate, as people can see when they go on YouTube and type in your name. Yeah. Uh, and the Trisha show, for example. There's loads of other TV shows as well, you'll find, but Trisha in particular. But do you think that maybe it, a large amount of it is at that time you had confidence and you were bullshitting? But is an element of it the fact that you are putting across your opinion with such extreme confidence that either A, if you're right, you're going to rattle the person, or B, if you're not right, 
you're still going to kind of rattle them because they might be offended or wonder what the hell you're going on about. That, that In that split second of them wondering what the hell you're doing, confusion, a bit like hypnosis, pattern interrupt inductions, yep. that they give something away more obviously that anyone using a functioning brain cell could pick up on. Yeah, it's one of those. Let's get it straight right from the start. Everybody on this planet apart from say uh, people with like autism or uh, that don't pick up on emotions as quite as well uh, if at all but pretty much everybody else on the planet has only got to this point in their lives by being able to read other people to a greater or lesser degree some people are naturally brilliant at it some people are absolutely terrible at it and literally miss things right in front of their eyes um, and some of that is down to the innate abilities that you're born with. But a lot of it is also your environment as you grow up as to how you how observant you become. You know, a lot of kids in, in, in stressful environments, um, you know, uh, abusive parents arguing all the time, that sort of thing, become acutely aware of the body language. Because let's face it, by the time they're five, six, seven years old, they've only got quite a small grasp of verbal language around about a thousand words mm-hmm. so they can't express themselves which is in, in verbal terms as much as they can with their bodily terms which is why you see kids overemphasize everything you know if, if you tell a kid no sorry you can't have an ice cream it's like oh you remember kevin the teenager yeah yeah you know of um what's his name um Forgotten his name. Um, yeah, he also did Lords and Money. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry Field. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that type of overacting of everything. Oh, it's terrible. That's what kids are like. So you, they pick up on your body language as a parent or even anybody of you know influence in a child's life. They will pick up on the body language and they will work out very quickly who is the superior, who is the controller. And then in most cases, if that's not abusive, they will try to copy and emulate that because it's where they want to go. Sometimes it's abusive and they'll they'll follow that line of behavior. But the point is that you start learning your body language way before you're sort of using it at a, at a conscious level. Mm-hmm. So everybody picks up to a greater or lesser degree. Now, the thing that I do and what I teach other people to do is to take that unconscious level of learning and bring it to the conscious. So what you're actually ignoring most of the time and just picking up on a gut feeling, as we say, or you get a hunch. Mm -hmm. They're both terms that come physiologically back to your own body. You get a hunch about somebody. You get a gut feeling about somebody because What you're observing all the time is a feedback mechanism between you and these other people. And if you pick up unconsciously signals that your body and your brain says, not sure about this person or they're completely dodgy or whatever, your body will react to that and it will give you physical warning signs. You know, anytime you see yourself or feel yourself pulling back from somebody you know, we, we all do it in conversation. Somebody says something, you go, really? <laughs> and you just pull back, you know, a couple of inches. 
what is that telling you're pulling away from something you you don't like you don't want to get involved with conversely if somebody starts whispering in a nice sexy voice to you you sort of go you are and you lean in because you want to know more of what this sexy voice is saying yeah etc so it's taking it from the unconscious level to becoming consciously aware of what's going on all the time because it's constantly all conversations you know they, they ebb and flow where they should do and within every conversation there's sort of positive indifferent and negative points which leads me to something else in, in my book i call it pin positive indifferent or negative okay and you in business meetings and things everybody uses a notebook and down the side is a margin so as you're talking through different points you just put in the side p i or n right we're talking about this it p it was all very positive we're talking about this bit uh they were indifferent couldn't give a stuff about it or we were talking about that bit and it, they were very negative pulling back crossing their arms da, 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 da. so you just put p i n indifference perhaps you might have come to that i'm being sarcastic here <laughs> i'm sure you don't love i'm telling the viewers indifference is that because you observed that in their margin of their notebook they were doing doodles yeah yeah, it could be something like that. I wouldn't take just one thing. And that's the thing. <clears throat> you can almost separate <clears throat> uh, nonverbal communication into two areas, the unconscious and the conscious. So there's things that you can consciously control. You know, if you don't like somebody, you could stand there and go, right. But you could also go, oh, I don't want them to see me crossing my arms because that will come across negative. So I'll just stand with my hands on my hips or down in front of me so you can consciously think right i'm in this little networking situation and crossing your arms is not a good thing so i i won't do it so you've made a conscious decision unconscious things are things you can't control so your pupil dilation your blushing your sweating those sorts of things you can't control those so if you can't control those and they are happening and they are 100 percent accurate reflection of what's going on in your brain they are 100 percent believable every single time you see them because there's no conscious what's interference your, what's your opinion then on and i'm not going to mention names um what's your opinion on people who claim uh now all right in in the arena of claiming that someone who perhaps excessively blushes uh and they're always nervous yes i i know firsthand that hypnotherapy techniques can help them handle life in a better way so they don't blush as much uh or in situations where you know it sort of being inappropriate but there are people who would claim it's possible to hypnotize people psychologically conditioned and call it what you will yeah. to not blush at all for mm. example or to remain completely calm in situations where the body's natural fight and flight system would normally kick in. Um, what's your thoughts on the reality of that? Um, personally, as you know, I do hypnosis and hypnotherapy and as well. Um, I have never dealt with a blusher. Um, so um, in terms of the question you pose, I can't answer that because I don't know. I know when I've dealt with various other conditions that were physical, we've managed to stop them. So I can only assume that by the same token, you can get people to stop blushing. Um, OK, I'll dig it a bit deeper then. Um, 
And even if you are, even if you did have first-hand experience of what I'm about to ask, you wouldn't, on any legal, ethical or moral level, be able to answer that you did. <laughs> so you'd just have to be, oh, I've read about that or heard it. But um, in things like um, the CIA's programme, MKUltra. Yes. Uh, um, as well as there being things like trauma-based mind control, they also did look at things like making people hypnotic spies. So they'd remember stuff, it'd be blanked out of the mind, uh, apparently, and then they could go into a situation, pick up on things without being aware of it, and be like a tape recorder, go back to base. So if they got tortured, they wouldn't give this information away. Yeah. However, within that process, allegedly, that would mean that it's possible to manipulate the brain obviously controls the body um to not be nervous in those situations to not give away the body language clues that an expert like yourself who these high-ranking people are being spied on may very well have people within their arena that they employ with your kind of skills to try and spot people who are spying on them yeah um what you know i mean what what's your awareness on those kinds of i would i would say on something like that yes you can do that but as you sort of added when when we said hypnosis you said mind control mind control is you know hypnosis which is it it's so if you're working with somebody over a long period of time you're conditioning their mind in a different way which is different to you know any Smith phoning up you or I and saying, I blush every time I get in social situations and I want you to help me, you know, can you do that? You know, one off, da, 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 da. That is very different to having somebody at the CIA, FBI, that sort of, you know, top ranking level, even in governments, um, that they don't just do like one day's training on this stuff. Yeah. They do weeks and months and months. And, you know, when you, you know, if you were to be taken into any form of, uh, military where you would be put in a position possibly where you could be tortured then you are trained how to resist that that sort of stuff but ultimately no um for most people and i'm talking probably 97 to 99 percent of people they couldn't do that it's, it's just not possible without you know you know yourself alex there's only a certain people amount of people that will take on board anything that you give them no matter how you give it to them how much you you, you package it well I, I these days i tend to I, I i'm gonna have to disagree with you on that i believe that now and sadly and i can say this through experience but that's not admitting to breaking the law because well i suppose technically we did break the law by uh using techniques to get people to uh for example reveal their um banking codes and computer passwords and stuff without being consciously aware of it. Yes, I remember you doing it. Um, and then for other programs, I've done stuff, well, I've, I've contributed behind the scenes to helping effectively create mind-controlled assassins. Um, fortunately, under the media, journalistic license and the fact that stuff's now already gone out on TV... Uh, it then gets deemed as being entertainment and not illegal, but technically in the making of it is legal. Yeah. And I can honestly say it wasn't a case of just paying people to play along. I think that anybody, but in the right circumstance, and that's the very key thing, but in the right circumstance with the right leverage, 
And in some cases, with long enough to do it, because some people would take meeting maybe 10 minutes, half an hour every week for maybe a year or longer, which, yep. you know, secret services would think nothing about if they've got a long-term yeah. goal in mind. That I think it's possible to socially engineer anyone to do anything. Yes, I would agree with you in, in those terms. However, the, the caveat I would put onto it was, as you said there, certain people so you would you know if you do a uh, a hypno show you do the old suggestibility test and all the rest of it and you narrow that field of 300 in the audience down to the 10 people you got on the stage only because there's only maybe 60 minutes on stage so you want the people who are going to go exactly. quick the rest so of the audience if might take six hours Yes, but that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, context environment. You're, you're, you're selecting the most suggestible because of the time frame you've got. So that's what I said when I said 95 or 97 to 99% of people, no. So okay. you've got that 3%, which if you had 300 and you've got so 10%. That's not people, a definite no, it's a no in the majority of circumstances. Yes. But if somebody had a, a, a nefarious uh, intent for whatever purpose, um and they were prepared to invest enough money in somebody an operative we'll use the term uh to long enough accidentally end up in that person's social circle to uh without them being aware engineer their environment and socially condition them over a matter of months yep uh then would you say that do that i would say that not wanting to answer for you that knowing body language as you do both from how to read it but also how to manipulate it that's what yeah. i want to move on to yeah um the scary things are possible yes and the word yes, i took out is politics because i know you get brought in by a lot of the world's media to analyze what the truth or lack of truth in yeah. what certain politicians prime ministers and high-ranking people's speeches and, and st stuff's about. Yeah. And by the same token, I also know that those people go on courses to learn. Yeah. You know, and they'll learn, yeah. oh, this is supposed to make you more trustworthy, the hands out bit. So can you tell us a bit about politics and body language? Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, what you mentioned there was, was so evident in the media, uh, certainly in the UK here, um, a couple of years ago, it was before Theresa May took over, so it was probably still around the time of Cameron. Um, there, almost all of them, there was George Osborne, Theresa May, David Cameron, I think Michael Gove, and it, people watching this can do, Google it, the wide stance. And they were all standing on stage at the party conference, yeah, you're nodding, do you remember it, with their legs way further. It looked like they got rickets. <laughs> but yeah, because some body language specialist has told them that a wider stance comes across as more commanding, more in control. Unfortunately, they didn't tell them just how far to move those legs before well, you go. Do you think that they did? Do you think that they did and they were just having a laugh? <laughs> it's mainly the conservative party you're talking about yeah um do you think that this expert was actually secretly a labor or, or, or a different party supporter and just for a laugh with a straight face he told them yeah to stand. Where you, go. you say well, you can manipulate body language yeah 
So you, if yeah, you could, you could have a, a Labour supporter going into the Tory camp and going, now this is what you want to do. You'll come across as blah 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 blah. And all those photos, if you look, what they've done is, yes, if you stand with your legs, you know, feet together, you make yourself smaller. The smaller you are, the less power you you're perceived to have. Which is why when you see people with their shoulders back, you know, broad chest and their legs slightly apart, level with the shoulders, they come across as much more in control. We use the term grounded because their legs, their feet are firmly planted on the floor. You can see, if you like, that somebody with their feet together, you just push them sideways and they've got, they'll go because they've got no, no no solid stance whereas if you did that to somebody who's got a solid stance no matter which way you push them they're not going to go so that's how we perceive things and it's all about perception so you can have situations like that but if you just take it two inches beyond the shoulders which all of those did you look ridiculous because now you look, you look like well what is that pose because <laughs> nobody stands like that <laughs> no but I mean, also, yeah, I mean, that's a very good example. I mean, the speeches and stuff. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, I, I find it surprising that anyone these days falls for it. And, and maybe maybe consciously they're not doing, but it's still having an effect at an unconscious level. I don't know. You'll tell. I mean, all this, you know, I want to tell you, Donald Trump does it hands out, fingers. Yeah, yeah supposed to be the open thing tony blair did it massively but i mean they all do yeah but they're doing it too they're doing it so much it's like what the hell are you doing that for it becomes obvious i think yes because what they're doing is essentially overemphasizing something we naturally do and it's whenever there's when you're if you like overcompensating so you're taking something that we all do naturally most people when they talk they move their hands and the, the palm rolls on the wrist. So you don't, I'm trying to get back far enough, but you just, oh yeah. So your hand is rolling in a, in a nice, smooth, fluid movement. Or oh, I said, so what you're doing is you're taking words and going, yeah, literally, that's essentially what you're doing when you're using your hands to take, you know, emphasize what you say. One hand is just giving information, two hands starts to overemphasize it. And you get the changes between wide fingers and thumbs up and closed fingers and thumbs down. Tony Blair, you mentioned there, was a master at using his hands and his shoulders. Whenever he talked about areas where he needed some people to compromise, including, you know, his audience, which might be Labour supporters, but they didn't like a particular policy or whatever that he was talking about he would do this his hands would come out i'll try and move back so you can see but his hands would come out like this and he would do this movement this is like a balancing up give me a chance and then what he would do is the hands would be wide as to incorporate the whole audience and then he would bring those hands in and as he brought them in he would drop these so it was like literally bringing you in and locking you in to his way of thinking. Plus he's showing his knuckles as a, a, as a flat. So it's pushing, and this is when it stops rolling on the wrist and the wrist of the hand and the arm move as one. So this is much more forceful when you move as one 
than it is if you're rolling your hands. This is much more friendly when you're rolling your hands and you'll see him switch from rolling to doing these stiff movements. This is always more dominant, more controlling, comes across as more more in control of things yourself. And he was, you know, one of the best, I have to say, um, at manipulating his audience. He was fantastic um, because he you could never knock that smile off of his face. And he'd mastered the art of actually looking like it was a genuine smile, even though it wasn't a genuine smile. Because when we genuinely smile through true happiness, there's a muscle here called the zygomatic muscle. It's on the corner of, of, of your lips. And yeah. And when you genuinely laugh and smile, they curl up towards your eyes. And you've got two muscles or a muscle around your eyes, orbicularis oculi, which is the one that squeezes the eye. So, you know, when you laugh, you go, ha, ha, ha. Mm -hmm. this is the one that squeezes the eye in. So these two form a genuine smile will get a crinkle at the corner of the eye and the turn of the corner of the lip. So when you, by the time most people, there's an old saying, by the time you're 40, you have the face you deserve. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do wrong? <laughs> Because, well, look at these lines, <laughs> um, because you've pulled the same expressions, the, the expressions you pull most often become etched on your face because you've done that daily, you know, 50 times a day when you're smiling and laughing. So these lines become etched on your face. So you quite often when you see in people over 30, 40, the way that their smile reaches from here all the way around to the corner of the eye, you know, the whole face shape is you can look at people and generally go there's a happy person because you don't even have to see them uh, to 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 know them you can walk into a room and you can see the happy people because it's etched on their faces because they've been genuinely smile so their crow's feet at the corners of the eyes relate to the corner of the mouth uh. whereas if you've just given those perfunctory <laughs> this isn't involved this isn't involved i'll give you another example um everybody's been at you know a wedding an anniversary party birthday party where you pose for photos yeah and you, yeah right so you're all standing there 20 of you waiting for somebody to go cheese and they get and you get the genuine ha ha people are laughing and the smiles look much more genuine somebody else comes along with the camera and says hang on hang on let me take another one and at that point your brain goes ah not another and you try to smile and quite often you get this corner of the mouth will just twitch because it's trying to force an emotion that's not genuine. And you can only get this muscle to work when it's a genuine emotion. It doesn't work otherwise. You can't consciously make it work. No. So politically, and this is going to upset some people, but it's me that's upsetting you, not Robert. Remember that, viewers. <laughs> uh, I'm about to ask him the question. He said Tony Blair was really good with this body language stuff. Um, now, he's not alive anymore, thank God. Uh, but, I mean, one of the people I think was probably one of the greatest orators uh, and audience controllers, albeit he didn't do it on his own, Hitler. Yep. Um, and having looked at, you know, there are loads of videos out there on YouTube of, of the yep. rallies and that, and... I will point out that he did have a warm-up man, Gobbles, go yep. on first and stop the crowd up and stuff. But, I mean, Hitler, 
I mean, there are books out there with the title that, you know, give the impression that the man who hypnotized a nation. I mean, yeah. what would you say about Hitler and body language? Well, again, he was a, a master of what he was doing, and he was uh, very widely read on lots of different subjects, including, you know, alien life and things like that. Um, and you have to bear in mind the time. You're talking like 80 years ago where the general public not that they're particularly educated now but they were even less educated back then um, not you viewer not you or you viewer just people who don't watch a show like this yeah <laughs> exactly um so you know tv newspapers the uh, radio all of those medias have suddenly realized you know in, in the, the during around the time of the war how manipulative they could be and because people didn't have resources particularly to go and check they just believed that what they read and heard and saw was the truth so if you wrap that up in a form that is believable people will believe it as the truth because they got nowhere else to go to check anything bear in mind at that point in time you know the only way people were getting educated was either to take themselves off to libraries or listen to the, the radio and watch and read the newspapers. And we all know now how much, you know, one newspaper follows that right wing agenda and how much that newspaper follows that left wing agenda. We're more aware, but we still fall for it. If you look at Trump, if we go from Hitler to Trump. <laughs> Not a lot of difference. That might upset a lot of people, but there's not a lot of difference between Trump and Hitler in the way he is. That is what I was thinking. I just didn't want to put words in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going, Jonathan. (laughs) Um, Is if you look at the patterns of behavior, and that's what we're talking about here, is the patterns of behavior from Hitler leading up to gaining power and then once he had power and you look at the parallels of what Trump has done in exactly the same way you could it's like a tick list of you know he's called out the press he's called out the justice department he's called out his own secret intelligence agencies etc etc Hitler did exactly the same because he's trying to sow seeds of doubt in people's mind that whatever they've read in the past or heard in the past that's not the truth anymore look here i am as this leading light and i'm telling you they, they've been lying to you for years and it is like a template i really believe because in his book hitler's book mein Kampf, which is full of guff and self bravado but there is genuinely a section in there where he talks about um in nlp hypnosis world people who are watching this show are probably most liken it to anchoring combined with conditioning. Yeah, yeah, Namely, yeah. short, snappy soundbite phrases combined with said cert- with certain open, like trust me, body language, yeah. but with enough repetition, even if they seem ridiculous and unbelievable, filter through and have an effect. An example being the British former British Prime Minister Theresa May. Yeah. Uh, when it was like, we must be strong and strong stable. And stable. Strong, strong and stable. stable. If you look in Mein Kampf and you search Hitler, Mein Kampf, 
strong and stable on Google, you will get the page up. It's genuinely in the book. And he gives that as an example of a phrase to use. Yeah. And we would call it anchor to uh, an open, trust me, body language posture and to use repetition to the point where even people who consciously are going, don't vote for that person, end up arguably brainwashed into doing it through this yeah, little... Because it- it's that cognitive dissonance, isn't it? The yeah. way you know something ain't right, but you still do it anyway, regardless of all the signals and signs that you're being given that it's wrong. You had we had the same thing even more recent in in the last month. Get Brexit done. Oh yeah. That's all. That was the only message. And the, the strong and stable didn't work for Theresa May because she had no body language powers. <laughs> Let's, yeah. she had, no, she's yeah. not, not a presenter yeah tony blair's a presenter boris is a presenter so boris can say the brexit is down <laughs> um, <laughs> excellent and get away with it because that's his character we've all become accustomed to boris over the last 20 odd years as being this supposedly buffoonish character but he is not. And even if you go right back to his Eton days when he was a child, um, he was perfecting what he is now then because it confuses people like Trump. If you start a sentence here and go blah, 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 blah and another thing and you shoot off over here and then and it's a little bit like in hypnosis. You do loops in stories. Yeah. And nested loops. Yeah, exactly. So people are left in these loops. It's like. What did he say? Oh, I've got that loop. <laughs> so it works on on different levels, but particularly in the media, the, the media and politics uh, is shoved down our throat and all the media has an agenda. You know, I work for the media loads, but I know what their agenda is, depending on which newspaper phones me as to what angle they're looking for on a story. That's an interesting one. I'm going to ask you this to, uh, because there'll be viewers who instantly in their mind will just go, he's openly sat here and admitted that he knows that media have ag- agendas, which they most definitely do. There's no question in that if you, if you go and look, because let's face it, for example, Rupert Murdoch uh, owns a huge amount uh, of the world media, uh, both right wing and left wing. He yep. makes money from all areas. Uh, and if the media was purely just about publishing the truth, then if uh, an incident happened, every newspaper should pretty much be saying the same story in roughly the same way if they're just reporting facts. Yeah. And yet on a daily basis, you can buy the Sun newspaper and you can buy the Times newspaper reporting on the same thing here in England or in America. You can get, you know, two different papers, but they're published by the same company. And they will be, it seems like a totally different incident that they're reporting because yeah. they're targeting a different audience yeah. of money and a different agenda, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So you knowing that, being approached by them, you know that paper's particular agenda. Yeah. Have you, how's that sit with you ethically in terms of, if you're asked to look at somebody, a, spe- a speech that took place, say? Yeah. Um, and you're honest. I, I can stop you there, Jonathan. You don't even need to continue because okay. I always insist that whatever I write mm-hmm. is used word for word. They cannot change anything. Okay. So 
I work with what I see, not their agenda. And they all know that now because they've all tried to go, well, could we, you know, if I've said, oh, they look slightly upset. They go, well, could we say they were angry? And I go, no, they're slightly upset. <laughs> so they have to use my words. And most of the time, I I don't do interview types unless it's just like a, a one line comment. So you on have to seem writing contractually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I'm the one who says it in email. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, he says you have to use these, da, 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 and they can't change it. They can't use bits out of context either. Um, same with photographs. I will not analyze just one photograph. I get them to send me a sequence of at least three in order. Yeah. Because somebody can be caught with a camera in a fraction of a second halfway through blinking. And they're like that, and they look drunk or drugged up. They say but, the camera never lies, but anyone who's ever worked in the media on any level who's <laughs> honest about it will tell you the camera. Not only can it lie, but it's so easy. Well, that could be accidental if they give you one picture out of context, but also yeah. if they take a picture from the right angle on purpose, something entirely innocent can look romantic when it isn't. Mm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes, it's uh, the media, like I say, they all have their own agenda. Um, but once you know that, then, you know, you don't go, from, you don't fall for their ploys because they're very I good at for it. The viewer, for the viewers, if you go searching Google, and I would encourage you to type in Robert Phipps and see what comes up and also on YouTube. The fact that you, Robert puts his foot down and it's like, that's what I've said. That's how it's got to go out. The fact that these publications still on a regular basis come to Robert to use his expertise in itself massively speaks volumes about how good he is at what he does, because arguably it would be a lot easier for the media just to find some sock puppet that would help them with their agenda. But they can't yeah. argue with his track record and success. It is, that, that's my view on it. So, um, we talked about nested loops. That's for those who may not know. It's, you know, if you start mentioning something and then leave it unfinished and you go on to something else and you open up loads of little stories and then you go back eventually and finish off the first one and the person feels a sense of relief. And then you go back and finish another one. And it's keeping their attention because um, you start stacking stories. But another thing that's mentioned in NLP is spatial anchoring. Yeah. Um, walking to one area of the stage whenever you're talking about anything negative, going to a different area of the stage when it's anything positive. So when you then are perhaps maybe going to say something that is a lie, you consciously have put it into the script so you walk to the positive area that you've anchored on the stage so people are more likely to accept it. How often do you see that going on in the political and business arena? Oh, again, it's all the time. You know, you only have to look at any of their um, party conferences, not just here, almost anywhere in the world. Um, and you will see that going on. You will see them using uh, a lectern or a podium to uh, stand in front and use it to 
bash down their fists, you know, to emphasize points. And then at other times when they want to relax, they'll just come to the side of the podium. So as you can see their whole body, it's look, look at me, I'm open and exposing myself to you. Well, that's the wrong way to phrase it. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for some of them. But... So, yeah, I'm, I'm open, I'm giving you everything that yeah, you can see. I'm not hiding anything. Whereas if you go behind the podium, people only see, you know, this part from your torso upwards. So they can't see your feet tapping underneath nervously. Um, you know, Tony Blair was, again, a good one. You can watch people's feet when they're standing against elect and whether or not they push one foot forward on certain points, which is they're putting more emphasis on it. But you can also see whether the foot is raised on the heel. So you can see like the, the sole of the foot just at an angle or whether it's down on the floor. And again, you'll see sometimes when they're talking and they're not quite sure about the point that they're talking about, this foot just goes, Aah! and then when they finish, it goes back down again. So you're looking for, with all body language, nonverbal communications, you're looking for the things that don't fit with the words. There is an incongruence between the words, which are saying one thing and trying to give you one perception, and the body, whether or not it matches, because if it's genuine, it matches, it's from the heart, it's from, you know, the person is meaning everything. There will be no discrepancies. There will be nothing out of place in that person's body language. What Whereas, about, let's um, say, somebody with Parkinson's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Example. How does that screw things up? Because they're, 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 they're not in control of, exactly movements no i mean something like that would be very unfair to analyze um somebody uh, that condition you know there's plenty of other conditions that will you know mask certain things but that is <laughs> it's very fairly obvious if somebody's shaking away like this that there's something wrong but in other people it won't be quite as obvious but that is your job as the analyzer to work out well hang on is there something that's you know going on here that i don't know about a medical condition for example i would imagine case, that's one of the reasons why in your book and in your trainings uh you talk about clusters context well context and clusters of looking for a yes. number of things at once yeah yeah i mean it, all body language has to be taken in context to one the environment first and foremost because the environment will change how certain people behave for example um if I, I i think i use this story in my book um if you walk into a courthouse whether it be here america australia you know anywhere in europe pretty much the first things you see are symbols of authority oh yeah so you see you know in our cases you know you see the the, the queen's uh duet mondroit is it on the 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 the, the legal with the unicorn the stick and, with the balls and all exactly that. yeah um so you see those those symbols of power and people have grown up seeing those symbols you see things on the wall that say do not enter and da 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 unless you've got permission so the minute you walk into the building you've already affected by it you know you go into a courthouse most people don't go to a courthouse for good reasons they go there for because they're either charged or somebody else is being charged and they want to see them being sentenced, etc. So there's all these symbols of authority that will determine how you behave in that courthouse. 
for the most part, you're always going to get the you know 15, 20 percent exceptions to all body language rules. There are always people that step outside those. But again, it's the context. So the, if you take into account the environment, first of all, right, then it is the, the actual conversation you are having. So what words you are using and what reactions are they causing in the other people? Because you can say something and people lean in, showing interest, or you say something and they can lean back, cross their arms and go, hmm, didn't like that. But they could also be crossing their arms because they're relaxed. Most people sit at home watching the TV of a night time with their feet up, arms crossed on their belly. So it can also be a relaxed position. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people assume, oh, I've heard if you cross your arms, it's bad. Not necessarily in context so then you're looking for the clusters of behaviors was it just oh yeah i'm quite interested i'm still nodding away at what you're saying and got a smile on my face but i've happened to have my my arms crossed because it's comfortable or did i suddenly at some point where you said something did i then cross my arms bring my chin in mm -hmm. and pull back and raise one eyebrow so you've got sort of four or five things that all go well, that's a negative, followed by another, followed by another. We can take this as a negative response to whatever I just said or did. Yeah. However, if it's a micro expression, so those things that are unconscious, you can't control them, then they're 100% accurate straight away. So if you see a, for example, contempt, which is one side of the mouth goes up like, mm, not sure about it. Mm. You see contempt, you know it is 100% a contempt for whatever you just said or did. This wrinkling of the nose, not a micro expression, but people sort of go, yeah, well, da, 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 that's a disgust. You're wrinkling your nose like somebody's just put a foul smelling something under your nose. So you go, what was that little muscle I remember you mentioning? Psychomatic. Seminar. No, one near your nose that kind of just pulsates. Um, around the cheeky join area this vague recollection of you mentioning it in your live seminar that it all twitch when somebody lies no again that, 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 this is more around here because more this okay. the, uh, because if you look at your face this line goes from your nose around here right that's probably what I'm so, misremembering it's, yeah, yeah. You've, right okay um, so there are as we said, some things you can control, some things you can't. But it always has to be the environment, the conversation and the context where it's all taking place. Who else is there? Because there's and I sort of dispel this myth in my book. If you open up pretty much any book from 1969 to the present day, which was that 50 years <laughs> um there's been quoted the Albert Mehrabian figures of 7% of communication is words, 38% is tone oh, yeah. of voice, no, and 55% yeah. is body language. Well, if you go on his own site, he's got a disclaimer on there that says, these aren't my figures. Yet somehow they've permeated communications mythology for the last 50 years and are still being used. But they're not they're not even his figures and that what it was somebody else put together two uh, two of his studies and assumed ah that's the body language well here's the thing 
the studies were done for AT&T, as far as I'm aware. It was a telephone company. Mm-hmm. So where's the body language? Yeah. You're talking to somebody at the other end. There is no body language. So <laughs> so they worked out, yeah, 70% was the words, because you're talking words over the phone. And then the 38% was the emotional side, the content in the tone. So they went, ah, 7, 38, 45%. What's missing? Oh, the body language. Can't see it. That must be 55%. It can be 100%. If you cut me up, you're driving along in front of me, and I go, yeah. like that, you've got 100% of my message. I haven't yeah. said anything. I'm not even in the same car with you. So it's always there, and most people don't realize how much they're giving away just in normal everyday conversation with their bodies because it's not something you're aware of you're probably aware of maybe 10 percent of your body language throughout an entire day that is why i would encourage viewers to you know they've got they need to go out there and type in robert phipps into amazon get your book uh look on youtube at the store find your website which uh, you know i'll get you to tell everyone in a minute but we're getting close to the end and there's just a couple of areas I want I want to touch on because well I'm sure it'll interest people and then at the end right at the end I've got to, I've got to get you to tell people what this story is about being locked in a wardrobe. <laughs> um, but yeah, body language, all areas of life. Uh, obviously, it's relevant, personal, business, sexual, flirting, relationships. Um, yep. But you just mentioned voice tone. Well, it's in my head. I'm guessing, therefore, that whilst you're the body language expert, you'd still be bearing in mind the voice tones the person's using yes. as well. Because the yes. words might be saying, this is the narrative I want you to believe. But if they're saying it with a sense of, I don't know, fear or anger, that can give clues as well, can't it, I guess? Yeah, it's, you can also notice, you know, uh if you like breaks in people's voice where they get a little wobble huh? um, when they're about to say something changes in pitch that necess- shouldn't necessarily be there if they're feeling calm and relaxed and they're saying things, you know, you get people in, um, you know, I spent you know, just brief from go- from being the uh, going into sales, going back right to the beginning with the interview with Canon. I spent the next 15 years working for Canon, Agfa, Xerox, Hewlett Packard and Apple. So I had a good training ground. Well, was uh, that in a sales capacity? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was where, if you like, I learned and honed most of my skills was there where you are presenting to sell, you know, a product, whatever the product is, you know, a cup, you know, a bottle of aftershave, whatever it is. Um, and sometimes, depending on what it is you're selling, you will find yourself in a situation where the buyer asks you an awkward question now some people will get that uh, and just the momentary like high pitch and a little wobble in the voice and then they go into their standard patter but they weren't expecting that question so that's the moment at which they gave themselves away like uh didn't like that question so then you if as soon as you hear that it's an alarm bell a signal that says right now let's watch how they say the next thing is it convincing? Is it genuine? Or is it, you know, a uh, a standard line? Because let's face it, uh, most people have encountered salespeople 
in some form or another. When I say salespeople, I'm talking about direct salespeople that either come to your home or come to your office to sell you a product. It's different to like retail sales. Um, and most of us know that the salesman is trying to do a job of selling a product and oh, they will yeah. say whatever they have to say to close the sale, um, whether it's true or not. Um, so you have to be aware and looking for the signals that might say that everything that this person is saying isn't quite what they're saying. And that gives you the opportunity when you notice these things, you can actually say, and I, I say it all the time. Well, you say that. However, when you said that, you crossed your arms, looked down to the left. So your body language is telling me that you don't believe what you just said. All of a sudden, people go, shit. He's watching my body language as well. <laughs> and some people can be offended. But if it's in a, in a situation where you're with a salesman, you know, you've got a double glazing salesman comes to your house. It's your money you're trying to protect. No. Yeah. So you can perfectly reasonably go. You're saying that, my friend. However, your body language is telling me something different. Now, what do you have to say? And then see where they go from there. <laughs> well, it's going to make them squirm. Isn't it? So I just I was making a note there, genuinely, viewers, if my body language suddenly looked like I was looking down, it's because I was. Uh, just so I don't forget to mention these things before we wrap up. Um, controversially, I'll throw this out there. In the NLP world, they put a lot of emphasis on eye assessing cues. Yeah. Personally... My view on it, and then we'll see what you think, is that the only way I assessing cues have any validity is to use another NLP term. I hate NLP terms. Is to calibrate, i.e., forget what it says in the book about it's always got to be this. Ask the person stuff you know is definitely true, so that when you get the answer yep. you know is definitely true. See where they look. Yeah. Ask them something. Get a, create a context as a magician. You can create a context where you tell them to lie to you, yeah, so that you can see where they naturally go to. And in my experience, a, a fair proportion of the time to be able to say that the, what the books say is bollocks. Most of the books is that there's a lot of people out there that don't fit that. No. No. So when I um, and you've been on my seminars, you sat mm. there and heard me blurb about eye accessing cues. I always get people to, if you like, throw it out there. A few questions along the lines you say things, you know, are likely to be true that have happened and things where they've got to use their creative brain to find out if they do have a pattern. If they do have a pattern, they have a pattern. Oh. But if they don't, they don't. That's interesting. You go bear that one in mind. If they don't, they don't. In other words, it's possible that they don't, which further compounds the fact that not everything you read in NLP books is true. <laughs> no, I don't think anything you read in any book is 100% true because there's always new research coming in, especially in the fields of you know the brain, because we've got so much more technology now. Whereas you know when uh, Desmond Morrison and, and Julian Fa Julius Fast and people like that were writing their books 50, 40 odd years ago, they were just going on observations. Whereas now we can take somebody into a lab, wire them up and put them in through different tasks and things. And we can see what's going on in the brain 
where it's lighting up because we know you know certain areas of the brain are in, you know this is where they go for their emotional response and it isn't always the left brain right brain as again like i access accessing cues you hear a lot about left brain and right brain and oh this is all your memory and yeah in most cases it is but not in all so in, unless you as uh if you like an advocate using body language as a skill set unless you're going to test these things and this is why i mentioned my sales career i tested everything in every scenario you could possibly mention over 15 years yeah. i had sales guys under me and i would tell them go do this now come back and tell me what the results are different to how you were doing it before so it's a matter of testing everything because how you come across and how i come across is different to how somebody else can come across so if we all learn the same stuff we're all going to interpret it in our own way and our own way might get different results from yours to mine yeah even though we're doing the same things how we put it across you teach stage hypnosis yeah and have done for years you can take somebody and teach them all the physical things to do to have a good stage performance but unless their own body language is fluid and working in context to what they're trying to get their audience to do most of the time they ain't going to get anybody to you know to, to give them a hypnotic show because the people they're trying to do it to it's out of context so it's unbelievable to the people they're trying to do it to yeah yeah so it's all of these things throughout my book right which there you go there's an arabic version <laughs> Oh, excellent. I, I suggest that you buy, if you speak Arabic, that one. Otherwise, obviously, go on Amazon.com or .co.uk and type in uh, Robert Phipps Body Language, and it'll be the first one that comes up, um, without a doubt. So, yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers ISSing cues. But I just wanted to get that point across that you've got to get things like you've been saying in context. And, again, uh, before we wrap up mirroring and matching uh heavily mentioned in nlp mirroring and matching yeah and the way they literally most of these nlp books explain it people go off and do what it said which sadly they do because i've been in places and i've been sat there with friends and i've gone i guarantee that person's recently done some kind of nlp course or they've recently been on some kind of speed seduction dating type course yeah because the it's more like mimicking somebody they're doing. And, and quite yeah. often they do get told to F off by the women or practically punch by the blokes. Cause it's, yeah. I mean, what's your view on mirroring and matching? Um, I give it total credence if it's done properly. Um, again, this is, you said it there, you people, you, you can only teach people so much. And then once you've taught them, unless you're going to be with them and go, I need, you need to tweak that, tweak that. Then they're going to take whatever information and try and put it into, into play, into action. Um, and the mirroring and matching. Okay. Let's explain the difference between them. First and foremost, mirroring is like, there is a mirror between you and I. Okay. So I can see you on a video screen. You can see me. So if I pick up my drink like this, you're going to pick up yours with your left hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's actually on the same side, like a mirror between us. So if I put my drink down, you put your drink down. That's mirroring. Matching is if you did it the other way around. So I'd pick my drink up with my left hand and you'd pick your drink up with your left hand. 
So now we are matching because it's left hand and left hand, not mirroring left and right. Mm -hmm. There is a difference. Um, if you are doing it correctly, it will happen naturally. Because you can walk into any pub, bar, restaurant, coffee shop, just sit in a shopping centre, which I've done lots of. Because, again, this is how you learn is go and sit and observe. And if you've got the bottle, make your notes of how you think somebody's getting on and go up to them. And say, excuse me, I'm just learning about nonverbal communication. I've been watching you for the last five minutes. Could I ask you? Da, 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 da. That's exactly how I did my stuff. So yeah. that's how I know. That takes balls. <laughs> Can I suggest for, for the viewers, if you're going to do something like that, I, I would probably, um, if you could have some kind of local, un if you could just fake up, I'm not saying forgery, but get a local university ID or something so you can casually go, I'm working on a psychology course and just flash them the card. Because the context of being a student, it might, that would help rule out the possible thought that you're some kind of stalking them weirdo. Do you know, I've, I've, I've had maybe, in all the years I was, I, I'd do it, I had maybe two or three people react badly. You know what, that's probably because you were so congruent and calm and relaxed. Quite and possible. Your body language transmitted, you were totally telling the truth. Yeah, could well be. And that's why I say, it's, you've got to play with this stuff. Unless it's no good learning it and just going, aha, that's all true as per what Robert Phipps said. Because mm. it's not. It might be different because I'm me looking out at the world and knowing what I know. You're you. You're not me. So what you do, even though it might be the same as what I do, it will have a different perception in the other person because of the way you put it across. Yeah. So. You have to test this stuff. And yeah, if you've got the, the balls, go over to people and say, just been watching. Da, da, da. Am I right? Am I wrong? And a lot of the time, if, if you're wrong, they'll tell you why. Oh, yeah, you misinterpreted that because because you have to say to them, well, I saw you do this, this and this, which told me at that point you weren't very happy with your friend. And they go, oh, no, 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 it was just because so and so. And I suddenly Is thought about the chance that you go up you've, you, and you're missing in the early days, you've misinterpreted something. Clearly, this, well, it may have happened to you, but I'm guessing you would have mentioned if it had. But it's <laughs> not the chance you potentially look for. You know, I'm doing this course, I'm checking this. What does this mean? And the person, one of them breaks down in tears or um, has a panic attack because, uh, in truth, uh, they know that. This could, you know, if the other person says the wrong thing, this could uncover the fact that they've just been lying about something that's covering up the fact they're having an affair or something. Choose your people very carefully. You might observe that stuff. Don't go up to them, people. Because, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, you, you are famous in England. Um, most certainly we, we, for your regular appearances on the Trisha show. And one of the things you were doing was people could be categorically saying they were not guilty of having an affair. You were observing and then you were categorically saying, well, my professional opinion is they're telling the truth or they're lying. Yeah. And then they have lie detector test or other stuff done to get proof, certainly everything. And the vast majority of the time, 
Mm. I mean, to be honest, Kate, you must have got it wrong at some point. I can't remember when, but the vast majority of the time. I got 17 wrong. How many? 17. Out of how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands? Uh, about 650. Well, there you go. I mean, that's, you know, it's an amazing track record. And that's why I say to the viewers, go on Amazon, type in Robert Phipps, body language. It's what you say that don't, it's what you don't say that matters. And get that book. I guarantee you it's the best book on the subject you will find. I'm not saying it's the only book you should read. No, uh, anything. But it's definitely one that should be your first, without a doubt, to read. And um, Robert will tell you his website uh, in, in a minute to go and keep an eye out for when there's any upcoming live events or if you want to bring him to your country to run an event, whether it's on a corporate level or on a, a techniques to use for the sales arena level or whether it's for body language in, in therapy level. Whatever, you know, he's, he's been there, done that, worn out the T-shirt. He's certainly the go-to guy to contact. But I'm, I'm going to bring up two, I don't know if they're embarrassing, but they're certainly funny things. Uh, can you tell people firstly about your experiences of um, being a clown? Right, and yeah, then yeah. <laughs> after that, how you to finish up, how you ended up locked in a wardrobe, I think would be a good way to. OK, um, how did I end up being a clown? Um, basically, I was started my uh, in 90 January 93. I decided I was going to travel around the world. So off I went and I got so I went from here to Thailand, Hong Kong and the Philippines, which was where I learned to dive. And my dive instructor, we were talking one night about other travelers and what what they do to earn money whilst they're traveling. Mm -hmm. And most travelers go to a place, get themselves a bit of bar work, waitering or whatever, and stay there for, you know, three months, get some money together and move on to the next place. I didn't want to do that. Um, so he suggested that I learn how to tie balloon animals, you know, the ones you go, you know, and then there you go, there's a dog or a swan or whatever, um, which I thought was a good idea because um, you can do that anywhere. You don't have to stay in one place. Wherever there's kids, a market, a fair, you know, a high street, a shopping mall, just set up. So I bought myself a book because the internet wasn't available back then, <laughs> not to us anyway. Um, and I think it was Marvin Marvin Hardy, I think, is the guy whose little book you can you can get. You can look at him on uh, YouTube, and he'll teach you how to tie these balloon animals. So I learned how to do these balloon animals um, whilst I was still travelling. And then when I got to Australia, I went to a sewing shop bought a pattern for a clown outfit, borrowed a sewing machine. I made myself a clown outfit. I bought myself a big multicolored wig and some makeup and I would just carry on traveling. And wherever I was, if I saw like a market or whatever, you could just go out, tie a few balloons, you know, bear in mind we were paying five cents for the balloons and you could sell them between three and five dollars. Um, it's a lot of profit. And when you only need about $5 a day to live when you're traveling, eating noodles and all the rest of it. <laughs> um, so it was just a great way to not stop in any one place and be able to earn money wherever you were. Um, which was great fun because also nobody argues with the clown. 
Some people are scared of them, aren't they? Exactly. And adults and parents don't know what a clown's going to do if they're the ones getting sarcastic and pushy. So all you do is, you used to do a load of balloons, you'd have them wrapped around your arm or whatever. As kids walk past, you just go, yeah, here's a monkey. Turn the other way, $4, $5. And the kids play with the monkey, so mum and dad just give you the money. Excellent. (laughs) So, um, And your question as to how I ended up locked in a wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know um, the answer, but you, you, people are going to love this. It was uh, during the uh, days when I was doing filming for Trisha. Um, bear in mind that I was doing the show for eight years. Um, after the first, you know, six months a year, my, fa- my, my face was fairly well known to, you know, quite a large part of the British audience, especially yeah. the daytime. And people TV. then, may I just say, well, you could remind me, people referred to you as Fipsy. Trisha yes. did, and so did the audience. So also, there will be videos on YouTube that you'll find as Robert Phipps, Trisha, or, but if you put in Fipsy, body language, you'll find other videos as well. Sorry, go on. So, so because my face was known, and whereas at the beginning I the audience with my little notepad and observe what was going on on stage after a while people would come in if they knew they were there for a, a you know an affair lie detector one they'd walk in and be like where is he <laughs> so they had to hide me and disguise me and on one occasion I was observing somebody from a uh, behind a one-way mirror inside a wardrobe so I'm in the wardrobe and observing these people and along comes the runner once we've finished um, and takes these people out of the room. And then it was lunchtime and they forgot about me in the wardrobe. So <laughs> I'm stuck in this wardrobe and I'm, I'm sort of, I thought, well, it will take them 10 minutes to take them back to the green room and all the rest of it. Um, so I'll give it 10 minutes and then 15 minutes, I thought. No one's coming. So I'm shouting and then whistling and like, hey, anybody out there? <laughs> Nothing. Bear in mind, we'd done this in a room that was way away from the studio. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I decided to lean down, grab the sides of the wardrobe and lift it up to try and get out. But I got it up to about waist height. And then, of course, you had the weight of the wardrobe like that. And I literally went, bang. Oh, God. And when yeah. I, I was lucky, I didn't smash my face to pieces. Bear in mind, there was glass on the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there is a piece of footage somewhere, probably on YouTube, of this wardrobe falling over and me crawling out the bottom and looking up at the camera going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm still friends with the producer that locked me in it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you ever so much, uh, buddy, for agreeing to do this interview. Thanks. Shed loads of information for people who are watching. Watch this again, but with a pen and paper. There is so, there's more information you'll have first realised in the past sort of 60, 70 minutes. And then when you realise just how much information Robert's been able to share with you in the past hour, imagine what he can share with you in his book, uh, in his videos, in his live events, and go and visit. Go on, this is where you tell them. Uh, RobertPhipps.com, and the Phipps is spelled P H I P P S. 
No, obviously, um, if you see this video on YouTube, if you look at the description bit below, there will be a, an active hyperlink there that you can click on. There you go. Wonderful. I mean, it's been great, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan, Alex. I know you by both names. And so it's been good. Been a good catch up and a good chat. Nice to see you. Take care.